0: We're looking at the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 2. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. Or you can go off the stage. <laughs> um, let's read this of scripture together. Just two verses, alright? Read it out loud with me. It says, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build, so they strengthen their hands for this good work. Father we pray that you bless our time as we look at your word today. May you stir our hearts, may you instruct us, may we grow in wisdom. And Father, may we grow in our love and adoration for you and for your church as you stir in our hearts this cause to rise and build, to go forward in this next year in a vision together as a church family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Go ahead and take out your worship guide that you received on your way in. We are in a, um, a wonderful season right now as we think about the future. Hopefully, you've already received your packet last week. If this is your first Sunday back, I see some first Sunday faces. Welcome, Caitlin and Casey. Good to see you guys, and I'm sure I'm missing other first Sunday faces. If you're a first Sunday face, this is your first Sunday back in a good while. Raise your hand. I know Bob and Lisa, I saw you. Some of y'all are hiding behind your masks, so it's tough to recognize you. Bob and Lisa, Gail, Terry, good to have you back with us, Gail. Any other first Sunday faces in a long time? All right, all right. How many of you are a first Sunday or a, uh, or a Sunday happy face today? Raise your hand. How many of you are a Sunday frowny face today? Raise your hand. Okay. Anyway, you can hide that frowny face behind your face mask. All right, anyway, good to see you this morning. Um, and so if you missed the packets last week, make sure to pick those up. Pastor Don has some if you would like to go ahead and grab that. I would just encourage you don't read that during the sermon, all right? But uh, go ahead and pick that up. And uh, that's a packet that we've really put together for you with you in mind to communicate just some of the principles that are on my heart. uh, Some burdens of, of where we believe the Lord is leading us in the coming year. We're hoping to really get those into specific goals over the next week and share those with you next Sunday morning. Some of them are already starting to gain some specificity. But let me remind you about two opportunities that you have this week to really be a part of this upcoming year's planning. And, vision. and that is, number one, coffee with the pastor. Raise your hand if you've availed yourself of coffee time with the pastor, but you didn't drink coffee, but you met with me this week. Raise your hand if that was you. I know John and Pat Fenton, Keith and Lita Callahan had some great conversations with them. And so we've tried to make as many time slots available there. If you're interested in having a one-on-one or a small group discussion with me this week about that packet, asking questions about the budget, asking questions about some of the ideas that we have going forward as a church, uh, some of the things that you see as being very important in our church, I would love to hear that from you. Uh, This Tuesday from 2 to 4, you can call the church office or just reach out to me via cell or Facebook and let me know, and we'll set up a 30-minute or an hour time slot for you. That's on Tuesday from 2 to 4, Thursday from 2 to 4, and then also from 6 to 8 for those who work and are like, well, Pastor, I can't get there from 2 to 4. Well, we have one more opportunity for you this week from 6 to 8, and we also have one other thing for you this week, and that is on Friday we're having a church cookout here from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., And so I hope you can make it to that. It's a very simple cookout. We're not asking you to bring anything. We'll have prepackaged chips and cookies, and and then we'll have the hot dogs and hamburgers and just have a a brief cookout meal. And then we're going to have a time together as a church family just having a discussion about where God is leading us in the upcoming year. Now, the reason we're doing all this is for several reasons. First of all, to to really uh, hear from your heart what you see as being vital for us in this coming year asking your questions, getting clarity on that, because when we have the annual meeting next Sunday morning, it's going to be a little quicker than it's been in the past, hopefully, because we've gotten a lot of the Q&A, a a lot of the um, clarity out of the way in these events that we've been having in these two weeks. And so next Sunday, we will have the annual meeting right here in the morning service. We'll really tie it into the service itself. It will probably go a little bit longer than a normal service, but we'll definitely be mindful of the time. And so we want you to get all of your questions in about the budget this week. And so I hope that you'll avail yourself of those two opportunities, both coffee with the pastor. And you might say, well, pastor, none of those times work out for me to come and talk to you one-on-one. Call me and we will set something up. We will work outside of those time slots. I would love to sit down with you and just hear your heart. And at the end of that conversation, have a time of prayer about our future together as a church. Um, So today we're looking at the book of Nehemiah for just a few moments. I love the book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite when it comes to looking at the topics of vision for a group of people, uh, leadership, and just how God works in a group of people. Um, The story that we're going to read here today is fascinating because of all the work that Nehemiah and the people were able to do in such a short amount of time. We're not looking at the entire story today because we don't have the time to do that. We're picking up the story here about midway through as Nehemiah is just about to get started with the people rebuilding the wall. Let me give to you a little bit of background here in this book and then we'll look at a few verses that lead us up to our study today. The book of Nehemiah begins in 446 BC. We uh, meet a Jewish man here by the name of Nehemiah who was actually born in captivity in Babylon. Uh, This man, Nehemiah, had an official government job. He was the he was the taster of the king's food. He was called the king's cupbearer. I guess you could say that was a very old school secret service detail, right? He was charged with protecting the king so that no one would try to poison him. And what, what happens is, if you look back briefly at chapter 1, we, we, we meet Nehemiah in chapter 1. We're introduced to him as he's very burdened for the city of his ancestors. He's very burdened for Jerusalem. Um, He was Jewish, but he had never been to his homeland. He had never been to Jerusalem. He had been born in captivity. But God began to give Nehemiah a burden. A burden. Let me ask you a question this morning as we get into this message. Has God ever given you a burden? Do you have a burden on your heart? What is something that just God stirs in you so deeply that it calls you to action for him? Well, Nehemiah had that. And so if you've ever felt that, you know what Nehemiah was feeling this time. Because when he heard about the broken down condition of his homeland, of of this beautiful city of Jerusalem that he had never even been to, God gave him a burden for the city of Jerusalem that was laying in waste for years. No walls, no gates, a shame for the name of the Lord where he had once been worshipped. And so when Nehemiah heard the report of how bad things were in Jerusalem, he was broken hearted. The nation itself had been in 70 years of captivity because of their idolatry. And now after this 70 years, the Jews were being now allowed to return home. Uh, This was around 536 BC when King Cyrus, the king of the Medo-Persians, actually overthrew the Babylonians. What's fascinating is, is only about 50,000 of the Jews signed up to go back to their homeland. There were millions of Jews at this time in captivity, but only 50,000 decided to return to Jerusalem. And so those 50,000 went home. It's about a 700-mile trip. And they went home to literally nothing. But it was still home. It was still their homeland that their ancestors had talked about. And maybe some of them who were alive at that time knew of. And so when they got back to Jerusalem, this 50,000 people, they, they immediately poured the foundation of the temple that had been destroyed because that was the only place where they could legitimately meet and worship with God in that time. But quite interestingly... Although they poured the foundation of the temple, they never went beyond that. They they poured the foundation of the temple, and then they basically quit and started to work on their own houses first. In fact, the prophet Haggai, if you ever read the uh, prophet of Haggai, he addresses this issue. People started laying the foundation for the temple. They had gotten back to their homeland. I'm sure they were excited at first. They laid the foundation of the temple, but, but, but then they went to building their own homes. They got self-focused. And so for the next 16 years, the the temple just remained in that unfinished state while everyone was focused on themselves and their own needs. And so in that time period, God sent a couple of prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to address this problem. And through those two prophets, they basically laid out the truth that they would never be prosperous putting God at the bottom of their list. And man, what a reminder for us today. Folks will never be prosperous in life putting God at the back of the line. And so these prophets really challenged the people to put God first in their thinking. If you really want to see God's blessing in your life and realize his blessing that is abundant, then place him first, make him your pursuit. And so for the next four years, it only took them four years, they all joined together and finished the temple. Isn't that incredible? And then 80 years later, so I'm just trying to lay out a little bit of a timeline here to give you the context. Then 80 years later, 457 B.C., Ezra arrives on the scene with 2,000 servant priests to really incorporate the worship of the temple and help in the religious outlook of the community. And he returns the people to a reading of the Word of God and to following God. And then, after all that, 11 years later, we meet Nehemiah, living 700 years miles away, still in captivity, and he hears of this condition of the city of Jerusalem. Some things have been rebuilt, but the walls were still in shambles. So this is where we pick up our study today in Nehemiah chapter 2. So this is a great book on leadership. I, I, I love, there's so many truths. If you're a leader in your workplace, if you're a leader in the home, a leader in your community, there's so many great truths here on leadership that you could study. But it's also a great book on how God works through his people. We're going to see that interchange today between, yes, God worked through an individual, one man, a leader, Nehemiah, but it also took the people with him to get God's will done. And so chapter 1 begins that story and challenges us with the question of how do we know when God is calling us to do something? Um, God is always interested in calling an individual first. He starts with one person who gets a burden, who sees a need, and then a group. Is incorporated. And so, yes, groups may very well join in the work, but the leadership of one is how God often moves. He, he used Nehemiah. Think back in history. God used one family, one man, Noah, to build an ark. He, uh, he uh, used a man by the name of Moses who had been dwelling in the wilderness for 40 years. He uh, used a man named David who said, Is there not a cause? He used a man named Joseph. And so all throughout history, you see how God starts with one. And so perhaps, I say all that to say, just in introduction, that perhaps God is stirring and burdening your heart, but you think, oh, I'm just one person. What can be done? Oh, my friend, I hope that today you see the truth of God's word. God can do much through one individual who gets a burden and a passion to see his name glorified. And so God works in individuals who get a burden from the Lord. Look back at verse uh, 4 of chapter 1. It says, And it came to pass when I heard these words, it's on the screen there for you, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard what was going on in his homeland, a homeland he had never even been to before, God stirred his heart. What burdens your heart that no one else seems to care about at times? Nehemiah certainly cared about Jerusalem, where really, evidently, many didn't care. I mean, only 50,000 had even gone back years earlier. And so probably a lot of Jews were content in captivity. You know, they had everything. They had food on their table. They were used to the government providing everything for them. Sounds familiar. And so they were content. But Nehemiah wasn't. If you look over at verses 10 and 11, you see this, uh, the substance of his prayer here. Actually, his prayer is from verses 5 to 11. But but we pick up the end here for sake of time. In verses 10 and 11, he says, Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee Thy servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. So Nehemiah says to the Lord at the end of his prayer here in chapter 1 that he's willing to go if God sends him, but you get the idea that he couldn't see how God could do that in the situation he was in. He was the king's cupbearer after all. How could he get away to make a difference? And so it's interesting, and you don't see this here in the text, you have to kind of do the digging and the study and the commentaries, but you find out that there's about a four-month gap between chapter 1 and chapter 2, where Nehemiah prays, basically, he's burdened with this burden for four months, and he doesn't hear anything from God at all, we can assume. So there's this four-month gap between chapters 1 and 2. This was such a burden to Nehemiah, though, and he didn't let go of it, that four months later others could tell that Nehemiah's heart was burdened in fact if you look over at chapter 2 verses 2 and 3 it says wherefore the king said unto me why is thy countenance sad seeing thou art not sick this is nothing else but sorrow of heart then I was very sore afraid the king his, his the, the uh, cupbearer of course Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king the king could tell something was wrong of course Nehemiah now was scared because he wasn't sure how the king would respond but But he shares with him, and and, and said unto the king, Nehemiah says to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? So Nehemiah is still burdened four months later, so much so that people can tell. In the midst of this season, Nehemiah had been praying and preparing for the opportunity. The, the, The king responded quite shockingly favorably to when Nehemiah said all this. We don't have time to read the verses, but you'll find out that the king basically said, "Okay, I'm going to give you a passport so you can travel through all the land in that seven seven hundred mile journey, and I'm also going to give you my credit card. So go and buy whatever you need, and let's get that wall rebuilt." Now, can you imagine Nehemiah's shock and also excitement in that moment? He's been praying for something for months. He never really thought that he would be the one because he was kind of stuck in this cupbearer position. And then when he finally shares his burden with the king, the king grants his request. And so Nehemiah is given a passport, he's given a credit card, and clearly God's hand of blessing was upon him. If you look down at verse 8 of chapter chapter 2, it says, "And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me." The good hand of my God upon me. And even in the midst of all that though, Uh, Nehemiah was still going to face some naysayers Look at verse 10 Then when sin the Horonite and Tobiah the servant The Ammonite heard of it It grieved them exceedingly that there was a Come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel And so Of course there would be naysayers Nipping at Nehemiah's heels Trying to bite his ankles But he was going to move forward Because he knew what the Lord had called him to do. So that gets us to our text, verses 11 through 20. And we'll read these verses as we go through the three different thoughts here today. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write down uh, this this first truth. And we're talking today about how vision moves forward. How do we see it moving forward and working through this story? And then how do we see it moving forward and working through our own lives? How does God place a burden on our heart and then we are moved to action to see his name glorified and people reached for the cause of Christ. First of all, the first thing that's basic here in this story is Nehemiah got a vision. How does vision move forward? Well it starts by getting the vision. If you look at verses 11 through 16, it says in verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days and I arose in the night I and some few men with me neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. And It was such in a terrible condition that even animals struggled to walk through the city because of the mess that there was. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. First of all, we see here in this story how a vision moves forward, first of all, Nehemiah God a vision now in a sense Nehemiah already had a vision he had the burden he had the vision way back in captivity 700 miles away but now he arrives on the scene and he's going to start dialing in the specifics of what that mission looks like and how the works going to get done and so Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem keep this in mind as you're reading verses 11 through 16 that he comes to Jerusalem after several months of prayer fasting travel There were most likely three to four months of time, again, between verses 10 and 11 of this story in chapter 2, three more months of travel and gathering materials. He very well could have arrived seven to eight months later in Jerusalem after uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. And so I, I say all that to say, try to place yourself in the sandals, not shoes, sandals of Nehemiah, all right? Place yourself in his Nike sandals for a moment. I would have imagined, I mean, if I if had been Nehemiah and I'd already been traveling for seven and eight months, waiting on the Lord, finally got the okay, quite surprisingly, I would have gotten to Jerusalem, and when I hit first foot in Jerusalem, I would have gotten to work. I would have been in a rush. Those that know me know I'm like type A. I want to get it done, man. Let's go. And so you have to imagine, he, he probably would have wanted to get to work as quickly as possible. I mean, the last thing that he would probably want to do is take things slow. He had heard about how bad this place looked, and now he actually sees it. And so it's probably even worse than he imagined. But notice this truth, that in the process of God birthing this vision within him, and this spoke to my heart so much. I don't know if you're going to get anything out of this, but I know I got something out of this, this week. And that is, Nehemiah didn't get in a rush to do anything. He was intentional. He was prayerful. He was methodical undoubtedly he had already spent months in planning. In fact, what's fascinating to me is, is even in the four months from the initial burden to when the king had the conversation with him, Nehemiah had been praying, but he had also been planning because when the king asked him, okay, what do you need? Nehemiah had a list and he was ready to go. And I think sometimes we, we just don't take the time to really see God give us a clarity to the vision. We get ahead of God We rush. And if there's anything I've learned in 10 years of being your pastor, oh, that has been one of my flaws. Is sometimes in my excitement and exuberance to see God do things, to see God move, I get ahead of God. Nehemiah was methodical. He he got a clarity to his vision. He he wasn't in a rush. The hardest part of doing anything that God is seeking to do in your life is, is getting his heart every single step along the way. And waiting upon him. Boys and girls, you ever gotten impatient? Are we there yet? Raise your hand, boys and girls, if you've ever said, Mom, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You see, Nehemiah probably struggled with that a little bit. I mean, he had had this burden on his heart for so many months. But yet he, was, he remained patient because he was trusting God. And oh, that we would remember that, both young and old. He had prayed for four months, and then the king asked him why he's so burdened, and and, and then God's hand clearly provided for the launching of this journey and this project. He had plenty to go on in terms of saying that God has gotten me to this point, but the question becomes, what do I do next? And so, yes, he knows he has to build this wall, but what does he do first? Notice what he does first he spends time not even sharing the vision with others around him verse verse 12 again i arose in the night oh and this is another great 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 uh, lesson leaders don't know what a time card is leaders don't know what 40 hours a week it he got up and arose in the night he was toiling in the night Doing a work for God involves getting away from this idea that it's just 40 hours or 50 hours. It was was in the night. He arose in the night and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And so notice in verse 12 how a vision is born. It's born in secret, walking with God in the heart of the individual. Notice that Nehemiah for months had been seeking the Lord behind the scenes. And you know what I'm going to say this morning? Far more important what our specific goals are for 2021, far more important than all that, is that you and I be people who have been seeking God behind the scenes and waiting on Him. Because unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. And so notice that this response was intentional. It wasn't an emotional response that Nehemiah had, but rather intentional planning and seeking God's wisdom and how to build that wall. He, He wasn't reactionary, but intentional. This is a difficult thing, though, when we have a burden on our heart. Isn't it? It's hard sometimes. When we have a burden on our heart from the Lord, it's hard for us to be patient, and I'm going to tell you this. It's also hard for us to be patient with other people. Have you ever gotten a burden on your heart and you're like, well, why does sister so-and-so not see this as serious as I do? Or why does brother so-and-so not see this as serious as I do? Well, it's just God gives different burdens to different people. And sometimes we think that everybody has to have the same intensity of the burden. That's just not reality. That's why God calls the body of Christ the body. We're all different parts working together, right? We all see different... Um, focuses or different areas to really zoom in on in our service to the Lord, and so it's difficult at times to be patient when God has placed a burden on your heart, especially in the society in which we live. You know, I mean, every month it seems they're coming out with a faster phone, so you don't have to wait half a second longer. You know, we 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 microwave our instant coffee. It's like we're so in a hurry today. We don't want any lag in our games. Where's the gamers? No lag, man. No lag in our games. we got to have it fast. we got to be able to stream 4K in 4 seconds. And So we see this frustration all the time with slow internet, slow traffic, slow service. But notice that Nehemiah was patient. Even after all those months, when he gets to Jerusalem, He does the the important part of seeking the Lord further and saying, okay, God, I know that this is the burden you've given to me, but I need to go out and I need to even be careful how I communicate it to the people and when I communicate it to the people. Those are all important steps. So Nehemiah got a vision. Then number two, we see that he shares the vision. Verses 17 to 18 says, then said I unto them. So the time had come, finally, after all these months of waiting on the Lord, trusting the Lord, praying, fasting. He says, he speaks, and he says, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Do you see what happens in those two verses? There is a translation, there is a transmission from a single man having a burden to now a whole group of people sharing in that burden and that vision. So share the vision. How does a vision move forward? You get the vision, then you share that vision. Although God's calling is personal and singular, as we've mentioned, He starts with the individual. The work of God in the Bible is always through a group of people. He calls us the body of Christ. And as I look out across this room, every one of you is important to this mission that we are on together as a church. And when one member of the body suffers, all the members suffer together Because we should be, and God calls us, a unified body, working in harmony together. All doing our different callings and different duties that God has given to us, but we're all working together for the sake of His name, for the health of the body. And so therefore, we must have a unity of vision and direction. I mean, imagine for a moment if there was a person in the group that thought, Nehemiah, I know how to do this better You just let I mean, Nehemiah, you've never built a wall before, you know, you've been the king's cupbearer what, what experience do you have in bricklaying that very could have easily been some of the some of the criticism Nehemiah, you don't have a degree for this you don't have a degree in bricklaying but notice that the people were unified, at least for, the, for a time we would see some struggles with opposition that we'll mention here in a second that they dealt with but notice there had to be a unity people had to share in the vision and the direction if if they hoped to accomplish anything and that's really been the purpose behind these couple of weeks and really if, if, if the Lord wants that that season to go on further I want it because what I realize is that if we're going to move forward as a church if God's going to continue to lead us as a church he has to lead us together it can't be just one person throwing the vision out there without there being a sharing in the vision. And we're about to talk about what I mean, because I see some fascinating truths here in these two verses, in verses 17 and 18. It takes the effort of all of God's people. Nehemiah could not have built the wall in 52 days by himself. Right? So how did he share the vision? Look at these truths, write these down. First of all, he identifies himself with the problem. Notice uh, he says in verse 17, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste, the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall. Do you see how an effective leader identifies himself with the problem? and says, listen, we're all in this together. I'm not just going to tell you there's a problem over there and then go sit in my office and expect you to do it. No, I'm going to be with you in both sharing the problem, so he identifies with himself with the problem, but number two, he includes himself in the solution. Notice he says, you see the distress that we are in, identifying with the problem, but then he says, come, let us build. He says, listen... I'm I'm both partly to blame in the problem with you, and I'm also going to be a part of the solution. He worked with them. He didn't say one thing and then do another. And I just want to point out an illustration because it's, it's something that I remember growing up. I remember growing up, pastors, and I'm going to pick on pastors because I are one for a moment. I remember pastors growing up telling me that worship, singing God's praises was important. But also remember, there were times when I was in church services where it seemed like the pastors weren't all that interested in singing on the stage with us. They were sitting in their chairs having a lengthy conversation while we sang. And I'm thinking, you say that singing and worship's important, but you're not engaged in it with us. Is it just a preliminary that gets us to the preaching? Or is it just as, as vital as the preaching? So I point that out because sometimes pastors are guilty of this. We say one thing and then we do another. But notice how Nehemiah shared in this vision. He says, Listen, I'm going to identify with you in the problem and I'm going to include myself in the solution. And then, number three, this is something that really hit me this week. Notice, number three, in sharing this vision, that he doesn't plead or bargain with the people. He doesn't plead or bargain with the people. What do I mean? He challenges the people to change their hearts and to jump in in one of the greatest opportunities to rebuild ever on planet Earth. That's it. He didn't beg them. He didn't promise uh, rewards. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But he didn't plead or bargain with the people. These people had done nothing for years. They, they certainly needed a kick in the pants, but, but Nehemiah was patient, and he allowed God to do the work in the hearts of the people. And I just thought about that, and I thought, you know, sometimes we as church leaders, we fall into this trap, and it's something that we're all guilty of. I know I'm guilty of it. Is Sometimes we come across as pleading and begging for people to get involved. I'm not going to do that anymore. Because if I really believe that God is building the church... Then that's the responsibility on God's shoulders, and I don't need to plead and beg. If God wants us to have a certain Sunday school class, then I'm not going to plead and beg. What opportunity do you have to take the gifting that God has given to you and to shape and mold a young soul for the cause of Christ? That's a great opportunity. I think sometimes we as leaders, we, we, we look at the holes here and there, and sometimes if we're not careful, we almost plead and beg with you. I'm not going to do that anymore. Because the calling that God has given to us is great, and if you want to be involved, man, I can't wait to work with you. What a great work that God is going to do in and through us. What a great calling he has given to us to shape the hearts of every generation here in our church. I was so touched this week by talking with with two of our families, and I was just, and and, and the thought came up in both of those conversations about this idea of a legacy and how sooner or later we're going to blink and we're going to be really old. I mean, I turned 40 this year, getting old. And you're like, you're just a spring chicken. Okay, but just let me have my moment. Okay, anyway. But yeah, it's like, we're going to be old, and where's the next generation going to be? And what I was so encouraged by in both the conversations this week with different families, they, they share in this burden that we have got to reach the next generations with the gospel. And so that's why we're recommending some of these steps of bringing on a youth pastor and and then bringing on a children's ministry director and and, and all these steps. Why? Because we see these things as being visional for the future, reaching every generation for the cause of Christ. And so Nehemiah, he doesn't beg. He doesn't bargain with the people. He says, here's the problem. For the sake of God's name, so that we're no more reproached, let's rise and build. And you know what they said? Let's rise and build. And they strengthened their hands for this good work. Number four, what's interesting in this story, and we don't have time to read these verses later on into chapter 3 and 4, but what's fascinating is, is number four, how does he share the vision? He formulates a plan and places the people in positions of opportunity. Nehemiah puts 42 work crews together. Wow. I mean, this guy had the gift of organization. Can I get an amen? How many of you know your pastor struggles with the gift of organization? But that's why you staff in the areas where you're not strong in, aka Pastor Don. Thank you, Pastor Don. Um, You know, we we all have our strengths, don't we? Man, Nehemiah had a great strength in putting together these 42 work crews, and, and he formulated the plan, and And listen, when you have a clear plan, people are able able to buy into that. They're able to see very clearly. Okay, yeah, here's where I can serve. Here's where I can get involved. And so we're going to continue to work on that together as a leadership team of formulating the plan so that you can see where you can be involved and what what work crew you can serve on. Number five, how does he share in the vision? He doesn't offer any rewards for people getting involved. He didn't promise an all-expenses-paid weekend at the Dead Sea if he got involved, did he? He didn't have any bonuses if you signed up the most workers to your crew. He doesn't offer any rewards for people to get involved. I believe the only motivator he was hoping that people got was the love for God. I think, again, churches often fall into this trap. And I'm not saying this is ever wrong, I'm not saying this is wrong all the time, but but this can be the trap. And please understand my heart when I say this. Churches can fall into the trap of naming buildings after people, naming pews after people, giving away special plaques and recognitions. The danger of that is, as we almost present this idea that we're here to make sure that we reward you and benefit you. When really what we're here to do is serve the Lord. Like I said, if I was Nehemiah, I would have been tempted to probably offer weekends at the Dead Sea and spa days. You know, they say the Dead Sea salt is really good for you, all that mud, ladies. But that's not the way that God does things. What's the motivation? Love for God, for the sake of his name, that we no longer be a reproach. Let's rise and build. That's the motivation that he accepts. Love. Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus, they were really busy for Jesus, but they had left their first love. See, the problem with rewards too is where do they stop? Where do they stop? problem with rewards is you're always needing greater incentives to get people involved you know in, in the past I've heard of pastors share this story and I, I don't know if I've ever experienced it but people have actually left churches before over the fact that a pastor didn't thank them enough for being involved or recognizing them if you need my thanks then what you're really doing is you're saying you're doing it for me and you're not doing it for Jesus now it doesn't mean that pastors shouldn't be grateful but as, as you and I know, if I start to list every person by name, I'm, 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 I'm bound to leave somebody out. I'm bound to miss somebody. And so people aren't serving God for me. They're doing it for Jesus, or we should be. So let's, let's make sure that we let God thank and bless and reward. Oh, I'm not saying that we should never be grateful, but I don't see Nehemiah pleading and begging and bargaining. I don't see him rewarding with spa days at the Dead Sea. I just see him saying, listen, do you love God? Do you care about the sake of his name? Then look at this. It's time for us to rise and build. And if there's anything that God has called me to, it's to every week, do my best to stir your affections for Jesus. That as you serve, love would be the chief motivation as you serve him for the sake of his name. And so these are all the ways that Nehemiah shares in the vision. He identifies himself with the problem. He includes himself in the solution. He doesn't plead and beg and bargain with the people. He formulates a plan and places the people in positions of opportunity. He doesn't offer any rewards for people to get involved. And then finally, he shares in the vision by showing them the provision to accomplish the vision. Look at verse 18. He says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. One of the responsibilities of a leader in casting this vision is to show the people how God has already provided all along the way for the cause for which he has called them to. So share in the vision. Get the vision and then finally we see as we close today Nehemiah was going to face opposition to the vision. Look at verses 19 and 20. But when Sanballad the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, now we've already heard of those two guys, Samballat and Tobiah. But notice the opposition has grown since verse 10. If you look back at verse 10 of chapter 2, it mentions those two guys. But now we got Geshem the Arabian. So the opposition has grown by 50% since verse 10. And notice what they did. When they heard of these plans, of this vision from God, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you do? Will ye rebel against the king? You know, the enemy is always going to seek to distract you, to delay you, to discourage you, to divide you, to destroy what God is seeking to do in and through his people. Now, you're going to face opposition from the world, and this is clearly what I believe these groups of individuals are representing, the worldly opposition people who do not know Christ, who do not know God, who are going to sit back hoping that the church fails. They were hoping that Nehemiah and the people would fail. And so there's going to be this opposition where there's going to be certain people, whether they're in the church or out of the church, who are just going to sit back and, and, and either laugh and mock and talk about you, or they're going to sit back and just hope that that wall falls over. In fact, one of the, one of the naysayers would say that the wall looked really weak. In, in later verses, like a, like a bird could knock it over. <laughs> Such an encourager. <laughs> but notice how Nehemiah responds to this opposition. Verse 20, Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem." He basically says you have no past with the nation of Israel, you're not Israelites, you do not know God. You have no present rights and blessings of God and you have no future memorial with God because you do not know God. And so there's this opposition from without, but what's fascinating is as you study this book. That's not the end of the opposition, verses 19 and 20. It continues throughout this building program. Not only from Sembalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, but what you find out even later in this story is that the Jewish people within start to get distracted and delayed because they're starting to bring one another under indebtedness. Debt becomes a tool that Satan uses. Basically, the greed of the people leading others into debt, and they... they um, they get divided, the nation of Israel, the Jews themselves get divided. And so what you see is is that everywhere there is progress in the book of Nehemiah, there's also opposition. If you're not facing opposition, it probably means you're not progressing. Thus is the reality of life. And so we see here in this story how a vision moves forward. You get that vision and you spend time patiently following the Lord, asking Him to develop that vision. And then you share that vision with the people. And then you just understand that as you move forward, there's going to be opposition. But you end with that confident assurance that the God of heaven, he will prosper us. There we, his servants, will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I'm thankful for what Nehemiah teaches us here in this passage of scripture, aren't you? Let's pray together. Father... We thank you for what we've learned today and heard here in your word. Father, I pray that over the next couple of weeks as we continue to ask for wisdom about what our church looks like in a post-COVID world and, and what ministry programs we choose to focus on and restart and reinforce, rebuild. Father, that you would be glorified that we would bring honor and glory to your name that we would rise up as the people of God and see you do a great work in and through our church. May we not listen to the lies of the enemy that says that you're just one person, what can you do? Well, we just saw an example of what one man who was living 700 miles away had none of the benefits of modern technology or industry. We saw what you could do through one man who could get to a city he had never even grown up in, but he knew it was the city of his forefathers. And he had a burden from you. And he was able to communicate that burden to the people. What a work they were able to do for the sake of your name. Father, That's all that we desire here as a church. We just want to do a work for the sake, for the honor and glory of your name. We want to see your name magnified. We want to get to that finish line before the throne of the Lamb and know that several people are there because Fairview Baptist Church existed. Marriages were restored and rescued and and families were strengthened and and a community was changed because Fairview Baptist Church existed. So, Father, I pray that you would help us today to see how a vision is born, how a vision moves forward. God, that you would bless this upcoming week in our church. As we have one-on-one conversations with the leadership team, as we get together on Friday night and ask questions about the upcoming year's plans, as we put those together together, father we just want to be effective we just want to know that your hand is upon us and that you're working in and through our lives so father we humbly ask here we are please use us we know that in using us you're gonna change us we we need to be changed we want to be more like your son So, Father, bless in this time as we reflect on what we've heard. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, my brothers and sisters who know the name of Jesus, who trust in Him for eternal salvation, I have a question for you today. Do you want to see God use our church? Are you burdened for Fairview Baptist Church to be as effective as it can be for the sake of God's worthy name? If you share in that burden with me, would you just raise your hand this morning, Pastor? I am burdened for God to be glorified in this place. I want to see God use Fairview to be effective for the cause of Christ. Thank you. You can put your hands down. would just ask you if that's your burden and desire would you pray with me this week would you go through those principles that we talked about last week and would you just make those a matter of prayer it's essential that we be loving, it's essential that we be authentic it's essential that we be intentional about the purpose that God has given to us as a church and how we utilize these facilities and, and how we grow together as a church family, as a team Would you make those areas a matter of prayer? How many of you would say this just by way of an encouragement? Pastor, I've already been praying this last week for our church and praying that God would use us mightily for the sake of his name. As I've told these families this week in our one-on-one conversations, I've told them, I said, we don't have to be the biggest. We don't have to be the richest. We don't have to be the most well-known church in America. We just want to be effective with what God's called us to, what he's entrusted us to of you say, Pastor, I've already been praying, but I'll also commit to praying throughout this week as well, in this season that we're in. Kind of like what Nehemiah was doing in verses 11 through 16, inspecting and planning and praying. If you'd say, Pastor, I'm willing to do that, I'm willing to continue in doing that, would you raise your hand this morning? I know many of you already pray for your church every week, but thank you for showing that sign of commitment by an upraised hand. It's humbling when when I know that there's many of you that pray for our church every week, pray for your pastor every day. You have no idea how that ministers to my heart. I am truly excited about what God has for us as we see all kinds of growth. We talked about all the different ways that that could be applied last week. Father, we pray that you take this message we've heard today and just help us to meditate upon some of these principles. And specifically in that second point, may we not be guilty of falling into the neediness trap or into the recognition trap. Oh, Lord, we're here to do a work for you. We're here to see your name glorified and magnified.